Welcome to church. So glad to have you here. My name is Chris, the man with microphone problems, uh, the lead pastor here at Trinity. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 15. Following on from what Brad said about the treasure of the church, we're going to be looking at just how Jesus does that for us this morning by reading the first 10 verses, two parables. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes and eats, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." Or that woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray and then let's jump into this passage. God, we ask you today for the grace of God to think, uh, to be with us so that we would think deep thoughts about you, Lord. We also ask you to help us to see uh, where we need you. We ask you to help us to see, Lord, what your instinct looks like, your heart looks like toward us. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. We pray, Lord, that you would go in front of us, that you would be behind us, that you would surround us, Lord, with your presence, with your love, with an awareness of your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So there are a few simple movements in this passage that I think will help us uh, think along the right line to to think about things that are going to be consistent with what the Lord was teaching in this text and maybe help us to understand parts of our, of our own life and our own story. And it begins with, with the very first uh, sentence in the passage. Uh, people were accusing Jesus by saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. The first movement in our passage basically is an indictment against Jesus. Uh, people are very upset. They're grumbling, actually. They see who Jesus is spending time with, and they think if he were a good guy, if he were uh, the person that he claims to be or that people claim that he is, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be hanging out with unsavory people. And they reference two types of people, tax collectors and then just this sort of like garden variety word, sinners. And I think we need to stop for a minute and ask some questions about who these people are so that we understand a little bit about the company Jesus was was keeping tax collectors, uh, not like, like some. You may be a person who works for the IRS, and and maybe your neighbors don't like you. If that's the case, I I feel sad for you because you have a tough job. You know, it's like people nobody nobody gets excited about a call from the IRS. Uh, but this is this is a harder job. Uh, tax collectors at the time of Jesus would be Jews uh, who worked for the Roman government, and the Jews viewed the Roman government as an oppressive. Uh, foreign 
uh, military occupying force. And they would collect taxes from fellow Jews, give revenues to the Romans, and then they would almost inevitably get rich in, in the process. And so Jews hated Jewish tax collectors, hated them. Uh, there have actually been excavations in, in some ancient sites in Israel where um, Jews would write curses on little like metal uh, tabs and throw them in um, uh, fountains as a way to kind of like make their prayer before God. And they're, they're, they excavated one um, that said, God have mercy on all sinners except tax collectors, not them. <laughs> uh, so, so Jews viewed them as, as, as sellouts, but like worse, you know, traitors to, to the cause. Uh, if you could imagine, like, we, we're invaded and then you get a job working for the foreign occupying power and you get rich in the process. So people hated these people. Jesus is hanging out with them. It's like a bad, bad way to build your ministry model. People probably were accusing Jesus of all kinds of things, all kinds of sketchy motives for hanging out with these people. And then there's this more general word, uh, sinners, I put in parentheses. I, this word means essentially when you tease it out in the Greek language and, the, and contextualize it, it just means non-religious or irreligious people, like people who don't know the rules, people who don't know how to act at, at church. People don't know, you know, not to cuss in small group. Um, people who just don't know the rules or maybe don't really care much about decorum. Rough people, rowdy people, you know, like probably who Garth Brooks was thinking of when he said he had friends in low places, you know, just super raw, maybe somewhat sketchy people. So this is who Jesus is hanging out with. And we, we tend to think of Jesus and we, we probably think like, man, Jesus, you know, he'd hang out with somebody like me. <laughs> he likes people that have their act together. You know, he likes people who, um, you know, are Georgia Bulldog fans, or he likes people who are, you know, go to these kinds of schools or have these kinds of jobs or who look like they drive these kinds of cars. And yet what we see here is that Jesus not only welcomed these people, but the passage tells us that he, he eats with them. And in the ancient Jewish world, to, to eat with someone uh, was a sign of welcome. It, it was a sign of, of acceptance, frankly, a sign of saying we're, we're with. That's why the early church would say about people who were uh, moving in a rebellious direction, um, they would be admonished not to eat with, with such people because to eat with them meant like you are uh, facing them, you're welcoming them. So Jesus welcomes and he eats with tax collectors and sinners. That's, that's what we see. And we're meant to uh, be confronted with how uh, challenging this, this would be. But he welcomes these people. Um, why? Does he welcome them just because he thinks it's kind of cool to hang out with bad people? I mean, I know some Christians who think it's sort of edgy to hang out with people, you know, who are a little bit on the edge. So to know why, you've got to back up. If you have a Bible, look at the very last verses of, of Luke 14. So the ones immediately preceding what we read today. This is what we see. Jesus says... Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure heap. They throw it away. And then Jesus says these words, let anyone with ears to hear listen. And then the immediate words following that 
say now sinners and tax collectors were coming near to listen. So Jesus is not welcoming sinners and tax collectors because he thinks it's cool or because he thinks they should stay just like they are. He's welcoming them because they are moving toward him. And I just want to tell you this, God will welcome and be with anyone who is moving toward him, whether they have their act together or not, whether they know all the right answers or not, whether they come from the right kind of family or not. If you are moving toward God, God will open himself up to you. That's what we see in this passage. Actually, three consecutive stories that tell us this. That God moves toward people who are open to him. And I believe this is something we need to actually think about. Because what we see at the end of Luke 14 and the beginning of Luke 15 is that people who are listening to Jesus actually gain Jesus's attention. So I just want to ask you a very simple question. Are you at a place in your life where you're making room to listen to what God would have to say about your life? Or are you so busy, so distracted, or so angry, or so activistic You have tunnel vision. People that are listening end up being closer to God than people who are not listening. That's an unavoidable reality. And yet we live in a world like Brad alluded to when he was talking about how busy and distracted and how hard it is for us to make friends. We live in a world where it's very easy for us to stop listening. Stop listening to each other but also to stop listening to what God would have to say about our lived experience. So tax collectors and sinners are coming near to Jesus to listen to him, probably because they're aware of their need, and then they think Jesus may have something to say about their need. So I would ask you, are you aware of your neediness? John Ortberg, one of my favorite Christian leaders, Uh, pastor of Menlo Park Presbyterian in California, John Ortberg wrote in his book, Soul Keeping, it's a great little book, he said, it is the nature of the soul to need. That like your soul is made to need. And yet we live in a world that tells us that to be needy is to be weak and we we must hide it or mitigate it or solve our neediness problem so that we'll just be okay. And I would submit to you that these people coming near to Jesus and probably every person since the beginning of time who's ever moved near and stayed near to God did so because they were aware of their neediness. Are you aware of your neediness or do you hide it or worse? Do you pretend that it's not a real thing? Everyone around you knows your neediness. Like, we think we're great at hiding our neediness. We, we think that nobody knows, you know, where you're really vulnerable. I, just trust me. Everyone who's spent any time with you at work, at home, everyone, we know the person's neediness. We know the person's neediness that we share a cubicle with or a bed with. But the question is, do you know? Are you brave enough to admit it? Because if you're not you won't actually come near to God because you won't really see or believe that there's a reason for that. I believe that these people coming near to Jesus did so because they knew that they had a need. And we have to actually be more and more intentional about cultivating an awareness of our neediness if we're ever going to be the kinds of people who are moving near uh, to Jesus. 
So I ask myself the question all the time, am I, where am I moving toward God? Where am I moving away from God? And almost always when I'm moving away from God, I'm, I'm moving into places where I'm just trying to take care of my own needs and my own strength. I'm trying to do it myself. And that could mean, you know, self-help. It could also mean, you know, binge watching or doing things that are kind of distracting or self-medicating. Jesus pays attention to people who know and are aware of their needs. So I would just say to you, that's an important thing for us to think about. The third movement in this passage, Jesus then tells two stories, actually three. Uh, right after the, the two stories that we read today, he tells this, the longer story, the parable of the prodigal son. So three consecutive stories that are meant to remind us of God's pursuit of people who experience lostness. So before we get into these two stories, and, and they're not complicated stories, I, I just want to say, I want to ask you this question. What does it mean to be lost? Every one of us in this room have experienced feeling lost. I experience it almost every time I go somewhere I don't know because I have a terrible sense of direction. So in my family, it's a big joke that like if we go somewhere we don't know, we better go a little early because Chris is going to get lost. Um, it happened last night. Um, it happened the day before last night. Uh, it happens all the time. So all of us in one way or another know what it feels like to be lost. But increasingly, we're reticent today to say that we or anyone else could be spiritually lost. Because we just say, well, everybody's got their own journey, their own story. So nobody's lost. And I would just say, if you believe that, then you just have to come to terms with the fact that you believe something fundamentally different from Jesus. That God believes that it's possible for humans to be lost, unfound, lost. And that may knock up against some of our progressive sensibilities, but I just want to say to you, be very careful about being more progressive than Jesus. Be very careful if you find yourself in that place. Jesus tells stories about lostness because he wants you to care about the places in your own heart where you're lost. And he also wants you to care about your friends who don't know him. So he tells us these two stories. These stories imply or directly state several things about what it means to be lost. And I'm going to just tell you a few of these things. Um, both stories that we're, we're told do, in fact, remind us that we belong somewhere and to someone, that everyone belongs somewhere and to someone. Um, in, in the stories, the someone is God, that we, we would belong to him, that God would have us be his, especially today if you name Jesus as uh, your savior, if you have been in any kind of relationship with him, you belong to the Lord. Um, you belong with him. Number two, these stories tell us about an owner, a, a responsible party who is meant to steward you as his possession. If you're a Christian, if you're a, a child of God and to seek you out when you become lost. So we see a shepherd and a homeowner. Thirdly, to be lost is to be dislodged from your proper place. It's to be out of place or misplaced as the word would go. In one story, a lamb just kind of wanders off. And in the other story, a coin, due to no choice of its own, finds itself in the cushions of the couch. Just kind of 
lost. Like the remote is lost in my house all the time. Next, number four, to be lost is to be at risk, to be in danger. The little lamb is at risk. And finally, to be lost means you experience a diminished usefulness. A coin under a couch is not going to be leveraged in terms of its potential, its usefulness. That value may never be realized unless it's found. So Jesus is telling us stories to help us think about what it feels like or the experience of what it feels like to be lost. These stories are told by Jesus to tell us one thing. So listen to this one thing. God seeks after that which is his own when his own become lost. That, that's what Jesus is trying to get you to see in a very simple way. So every Jew, including the Pharisees, so everyone listening to Jesus tell these stories, would have understood and bought into the idea that if we were lost, God would always welcome us back if we came back. What Jesus does in these stories is he actually tells us something else, something more than that. He says, God actually pursues his own when they become lost. So it's not just he'll welcome you back like a, you know, like a business person behind a desk, you know, that just says, sure, you can come back. You'll be on probation. What these stories are meant to tell us is that when we become lost, that God actually goes looking for us, that he disrupts the status quo to pursue us. So not just us pursue God, but God pursues us. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to think about. And we don't actually expect God to be this way. To be one that pursues us. So Jesus tells us, and I will just say that's why so many evangelical Christians don't like that last song we sang, Reckless Love. Well, I don't know if God's love could be reckless. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to argue about the word reckless, you might have missed the whole point of that song. Because if you're a lamb caught in a thicket by the edge of a cliff and a shepherd comes crashing through the bramble to rescue you, it might sound reckless, but in fact, it's the pursuit of God. And yet we want to argue theology over terms, meanwhile missing the whole point of the fact that we get into trouble and God comes looking for us. That's what that's about. That's what this text is about. So two stories. I get, I just get so annoyed with that. So I'm sorry. I got like, you know, I got a little, a little hotter than I thought. So, so in the story about the sheep, Jesus appeals to custom. Anybody there would have thought, of course, you leave 99 in a safe place. You go get the one. They would have all said that makes total sense. Uh, there was nothing provocative or unusual about it. The only thing provocative about that story is that he would um, put it on, put the animal on his shoulders and bring it home. That would have been unusual because what you would do typically is you'd put the little lost animal in the crook of the staff and you would just kind of like get it home. But Jesus tells us a normal story and then he says, but there's a personal thing going on in the normal story. The shepherd puts the animal on his shoulders and that's noteworthy because it means God actually cares in an emotive way about you. So today, if you feel like you've wandered off and you're in a place where you feel compromised, I just want to say to you, God emotionally cares about that. He actually cares about you. And he will, when he finds you, bring you home. 
And there have been seasons in my life where I have felt lost like that for a long time. If you've been a part of this church, you've heard me say it. I experienced a three-year period where I felt like I was that lamb who had kind of wandered off the path and was in a very um, dark and confusing place with regard to my spirituality. And God eventually found me and brought me back into a place of security and safety. It didn't take uh, a month or two. It, it took years for me to get back there. But he, but he found me. There was a sense of warmth in the heart of God, a recovery that touched the emotion of God. And some of us in this room have a hard time believing that God is emotionally invested in you. And I would just say he is. The the Jewish text, the, the scriptures tell us again and again that he is. And then we're told about rejoicing, parties being thrown for this one animal. The second story centers around a lost coin, in this story, a woman, which I love the fact that we, we have two stories about the heart of God. One is a man looking for his sheep and the other is a female um, looking for a lost coin. And you need to know that Jesus is telling us two stories about the heart of God and he uses a man and a woman to tell us about the heart of God, uh, which I think is a beautiful thing. We tend to think of this as like you lose a quarter, you just cut your losses, like, you know, whatever. We're not meant to think about that. Jesus is meant to, to get us to thinking about someone who has like their life savings and then they lose their a tenth of their life savings. And they say, we can't stop until we find it. In this instance, the coin represented a part of the value of who God would be. Um, that God's story would not be complete without all of it. And for some of us in this room, we have felt like our value has been diminished and that the story could just go on without us. And I just want to say it's a lie. Like if you're in the family of God, God's call to you to be a part of the family of God is of such significance that for you to not participate would be to diminish the story of what God would do. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago in 1 Corinthians. Without you, it would be like a nose saying, I don't belong. Without the nose, we don't smell. Without the toes, we don't have balance. There's a sense in which we all belong, but we sometimes will believe the lie that we don't belong. So what would have happened if the woman had just said, like, I can live without the coin. Or the shepherd had said, I can live without the lamb. There'd be a diminished reality. And that leads us to the last movement in this passage, and it's this one. God does not cut his losses. We do all the time. We live in a world where everything is so disposable that we begin to believe that we're disposable. And some of us have lived our lives in such a disposable world that it necessarily begins to inform the fact that we probably don't matter that much. Some of you come into this room thinking, I don't know that I matter. I must be disposable. Jesus is going out of his way to tell us stories that are meant to reinforce the fact that God does not cut his losses. God pursues. It may take longer than we want it to take. It may be more complicated than we wish it would be. But God doesn't cut his losses. He pursues and he hunts and he finds us. And if you're meant to walk away with anything reading these two stories, it's that God will come and find you when you find yourself in a dark place. Now, I believe that applies to two groups of people. Those who are not Christian, 
but who are being drawn by God, I believe the Lord would say, I want to draw you in. This is why you should care about your friends who are lost and have the courage to admit to yourself that they're lost. They need Jesus. Why you should pray for them. That's why you should invite them to Alpha in January. But it's also for those of us in this room, all of us, who have experienced what it feels like to have diminished value or be in danger or to find ourselves obscured in some way experiencing a minor lostness. Not your salvation, just I feel lost, I feel hurt, I feel obscured. God wants to come into those places as well. God, I believe, pursues humans. This is why I'm a Christian. Because there have been times in my own life where I've made it really hard for God. Um, I've been willful, I've been afraid, I've been rebellious, I've been obstinate, I've been stubborn. And he comes anyway. And he's stronger than you. He's bigger than you. Your story is not finished being told. So today, if you've been on a bit of a walkabout, I just want to say God will welcome you home. All you have to do is turn back. And say, Lord, I need you. I want to move toward you. And I believe that when we do that, the Lord finds us and he comforts us. And he does good things in our life that would not otherwise happen. If you're able, let's stand together. Thanks so much for listening to the sermon today. My name is Chris McDaniel. I am the pastor here on the west side at Trinity in Atlanta. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people who are growing into likeness. And if you want to find out more information about Trinity or get connected to the life of the church, please visit us at atltrinity.org. Thanks. God bless.